This is the Milo Beasley Show. This is the Milo Beasley Show. There's only one thing you need to know. This is the Milo Beasley Show. And now, here's your host, Milo Beasley. And welcome to the Milo Beasley Show, episode number 355. Uh, I'm so excited for our for our guest today. Uh, I could give you an intro, but I really, really, really want to get into it. So please help me welcome with this time, Steve Anderson. How are you doing, sir? Hi, everybody. I'm doing great, Milo. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, I'm 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 so excited. I'm a huge, huge fan of of Meet the Robinsons, which you you. Uh, you, you wrote, directed, even voiced. Um, <laughs> that's uh, you know, uh, and so I do want to talk about Meet the Robinsons, but. Uh, I guess your your resume just goes on and on from uh, working on uh, Bebe's Kids to Tarzan <laughs> to to directing Winnie the Pooh and and of course all the the, the Disney animated hits you know working on the storyboard and in, in the in the like last ten years I mean do you ever just look back and go holy crap like I did that <laughs> yeah it's it's very easy to sort of take it for granted. Uh, because you know, it's just, it's your day to day and it's just been your job for all these years. And, and then there are those moments where you, where you go, Oh, wow. I used to dream about that when I was a kid, I wanted to be at work at Disney so bad, work at Disney animation specifically so bad. And wow, I got a chance to do that. I was there for 26 years and got to do a lot of different things and it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people just dream about it once, but to, again, like you said, to, to do it for 26 years. And then, so how does one get involved? Uh, I actually had a friend of mine who attended Cal arts with you. His name is Lauren. Um, and he said to say hi, he was like, I, when I told him I have, he was like, Oh my God, I went to Cal arts with him. Uh, so oh, what's his name? His name is Lauren. 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 Javier. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love Lauren. Of course. Yeah. He was in my wife's class and they oh. were just one year behind me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So how does one, you know, dream about, I mean, I have no artistic ability whatsoever, which is why I talk. Uh, I don't work with my hands. So how does one get involved in, in that industry um, from just dreaming about being an animator to going to school and then getting that, uh, that foot in the door to, to, to work for Disney? Yeah. Well, for me, it was just draw, 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 draw. I mean, I, 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 uh, watched lots of Disney movies, went to, well, you know, watched Wonderful World of Disney, lots of Looney Tunes, lots of Hanna-Barbera cartoons, any cartoons I could get my eyes on uh, just because I loved animation so much. And that just, for some reason, it just kind of flipped a switch in my head and it made me want to draw. It made me want to try to capture those characters on the paper, on, on paper. Um, so I just drew as much as I could. Um uh, initially starting out drawing other people's characters and then gradually creating my own characters and and then getting more interested, kind of bigger picture in story stuff, screenwriting, just filmmaking in general, um, uh, but still kind of in the animation space. Uh, and so I, and when I, initially, when I hadn't heard about CalArts, because there wasn't an internet, so you really didn't, you know, right. I didn't know where I was going to go to to college, it was, it was, I was halfway through high school and I'm like, well, I want to do this animation thing. And, but there's no animation schools. What do I do? You know, I guess I'll go to a fine art program somewhere. And then it just so happened that, uh, I saw an issue of this magazine called Disney news that was published back in the 
70s and 80s, and they had an article about this school called CalArts, and there were all these people, pictures of people drawing and animating, and my brain just exploded because I thought, this is it, this is where I have to go. And my parents were very supportive. I applied, fortunate, I'm very lucky that I got in. Uh, and so I hightailed it to California from Plano, Texas, and, uh, and that was it. <laughs> So uh, you said your, your parents were supportive, but when you were, mm -hmm. when you were growing up and you're doing your doodles, uh, you know, were your parents like, you're never going to make a career out of this. I think so. Uh, they, they never said that to me. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, again, very supportive of the, of the, of that passion, but it was certainly, you know, I grew up in a time where there really wasn't much of an industry. It was, it was Disney. It was, let's see, Hanna-Barbera. Filmation was making their TV shows. Um, uh, Bluth, um, Bakshi, you know, but, but not, just not, not a ton of, of, of work and certainly not anything that would make it look like an attractive career, you know, living in Texas, <laughs> not on the right. West Coast or the East Coast where, you know, you might know a little bit more about it. Uh, so it... My dad has said to me in retrospect, uh, he said, you know, when you said you wanted to go pursue animation, I I thought you were going to, you know, be living in the basement for the rest of our, your life <laughs> in our house with me and with me and mom. But uh, he said, I'm shocked you were able to get the get a career out of it. And and again, very fortunately, uh, um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out the summer right before my freshman year at CalArts. And then two years later, or no, a year later was Little Mermaid, and then then Tiny Toon Adventures, the TV show was was right. going, and then you know the industry sort of exploded, and then so I was very lucky to have gotten in right at a at a great time where um, lots of work was happening. Uh, that, that's fantastic. And then so your first your first gig for Disney was Tarzan, correct? And what mm -hmm. did you? Uh, were you a storyboard artist? Were you a filler artist? What did you What did you do for Tarzan? Yep, I was a storyboard artist on Tarzan. Uh, um, about three years on that on that show. Um, super proud of the movie. A great movie to be my first Disney experience. Absolutely. Um, uh, prior to that, I had worked at a smaller studio doing lots of different things. I was an animator and I, I directed some TV. Uh, and you know, a nice thing about a smaller studio is sometimes you get to wear a lot of different hats. So I got to a, a nice kind of general education in all different uh, arenas. Um, and what was wonderful is that I met Kevin Lima, uh, who was one of the directors of Tarzan at, at this smaller studio. He was actually developing a project there. Um, and the other director of Tarzan was Chris Buck, who was my animation teacher at CalArts. <laughs> so I was also very fortunate that I knew both of them. And when their project was starting up, we started talking about, hey, maybe I could come, you know, work in story on that movie. And, and uh, the stars aligned and I got to do it. So that that's that's incredible and you also got to, to work with on one of my favorite movies of all time which i think is finally starting to get its flowers and that is emperor's <laughs> new groove yeah um, yeah, you, yeah I mean, you 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 had to know where i was going with that right yeah. because it's, uh <laughs> yeah it, it's i think it's finally starting to get its flowers so now that you start to see like this uptick in that movie that you worked on so long ago are you are you like well it's about time because it's, you know it's 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 a, it's a great movie Thanks. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, really proud of the movie. And it's so, it's such a quirky, unusual movie. And, and we knew it at the time, but it's, but 
when I see it now, if I ever see clips of it or if I'm channel surfing or whatever, I happen to like catch some of it. I actually shake my head and go, that's a really weird movie, especially for Disney at that time. I can't believe we got away with some of those things. It's such a, it's based, it's such a, you know, Looney Tunes cartoon in a weird way, not Disney. Right. Um, and it, it, so it's kind of mystifying that, that we were able to get away with doing it, but um, I, I'm thrilled that it's, it's, it's getting finally kind of getting noticed. It seems like, uh, People saw it back when it came out, but maybe just not enough to kind of make the studio believe in it. Right. Um, but it's 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 nice to know that it didn't go away. It just sort of maybe hibernated for a little bit. Uh, right. And then people discovered it on whatever, you know, whatever mediums, Disney Channel or home video, whatever. Right. Um, and it's it is crazy because I don't think I've ever met anybody who said, eh, I don't really like that movie. Um, right. it, it, it seems yeah. like there's something there's a. There's a joke for everybody in that movie. <laughs> you know? I I swear, I promise you, I quote it once, once <laughs> at least once a week. Some uh, random quote. And uh, I feel like the magic number for some of these movies is somewhere between that 10 and 15 year mark. Mm -hmm. And this year, uh, 2022, is that 15 year mark for Meet the Robinsons. Yeah. And uh, I see new merch coming out for it from Disney. Um, I, and I feel like that is the next, I, I don't want to call it retro because it's been 15 years, but <laughs> I think it's that next one that people, because I hadn't watched it for a long time. And I'm going to be honest, like I, I just haven't, hadn't watched it. It just went, you know, and then yeah. a couple months ago I sat down and, and I watched it, you know, I was just flipping on a uh, Disney plus and I was like, Oh man, I haven't watched Meet the Robinsons. And I watched it. I was like, gosh, like this movie was so, like how have how has it not been in my regular rotation <laughs> oh, I'm so and glad. uh so yeah now we're coming up on 15 years does it seem like it's been 15 years um that depends on the day i guess you know right. sometimes you you think wow that was a long time ago and it feels like a long time ago and then and then you know you talk with colleagues or uh, about stories or you say oh, remember that time we did this i meet the robinsons and and it feels like yesterday or i look at photos or memorabilia or you know going through old boxes or something and and uh yeah it's it is kind of hard to believe that it's been 15 years and that's just since release i mean yeah. it yeah. obviously you know animated movies you know and uh, computer animated movies and and don't just happen overnight so <laughs> how many years how many years had you been working on that from the time that you uh got the script you know the, the initial you know storyboards to the time that it was released it was about four and a half years ish, um, uh, which, you know, as you said, animated movies take a long time. Three to five years is a pretty average time period for animation. Um, uh, that said, it it a lot happened in those four and a half years, um, both you know, studio wise, uh, leadership at the studio wise, right. creatively on the on the film as it evolved. Um, uh, so yeah, it was a packed four and a half years, but, um, but really, I mean, a really special movie for me, um, uh, and the team that we had making the movie, I, I just am forever grateful for their, their passion and their dedication to sticking with it. Cause it was a movie that went through a lot of iteration buffeted by a lot of storms, uh, and, uh, and they all just 
they were so supportive and they were right there with me. I always felt, I always felt that great support from that team. So really special. Now, how did you end up voicing Bowler Hat? I mean, you voiced a couple, a couple characters, uh, Bud, Tallulah, but Bowler Hat guy. And I, and I noticed while looking at the IMDb that a lot of the voices for the movies were other storyboard artists for other movies were artists for, you know, so it didn't seem like it was a, um, a movie full of actors per se, that it kind right. of was, like you said, almost like a team effort for it to come through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, as, as you know, that this has been known to happen time, from time to time, like Brad Bird was the voice of Edna Mode in the Incredibles and, and Chris Sanders was the voice of, of uh, Stitch and Lilo and Stitch. And, and that happens because uh, we lit, we, as we make the movies, you know, we storyboard them, we put them on film and we sort of workshop them uh, in, in a very work in progress way, which means we add temp music, temp sound effects, and also temp voices. And we do all the temp voices ourselves. We all just run down to the recording studio and blah, 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 into a microphone. And then, you know, just a placeholder. Right. But sometimes those voices kind of stick with the characters. Um, and uh, and I didn't expect that to happen, but I, I was very uh, honored that the studio said, hey, we'd like you to, to do it. We did start exploring casting ideas, but um, they said they'd like me to do it. And it's a, it, it was an interesting movie as far as casting goes, because there's a lot of characters, a lot of characters with not huge parts. I mean, right. they have a, like, let's say the Robinson family, for example, they're in it and they have an impact. They, they make an impression. But if you counted the lines for each family member, you know, it, it, it might just be a couple pages of script if you, if you gather them all together on one document. And so, you know, it, it wouldn't be a part that's big enough for a, a, a name actor to come in and do because they would want something bigger than that. So it was very unique that way. And I think that's why we ended up sticking with a lot of our, our temp voices because they worked. Uh, people, you know, it, it told the story. Um, they all did a great job with it. And and it, it you know, it, it sort of helped with that that issue. And the two main characters were kids. So... Right. You're not going to go cast, you know, Tom Cruise and <laughs> and uh, whoever as the as the two leads because we had these great kids that were doing the voices. So it was kind of a unique challenge casting wise, and that's that's kind of why we we stuck with a lot of the temp voices. Now, with, with animation, um, a lot of times it's table, you know, table reads or ta you know, you're recording around, you know, doing a, a group setting. But with with Bowler Hat guy, he's often talking to himself. So were you just? <laughs> in a room by yourself recording yeah um uh strangely enough animation at least at disney we we do record we tend to record separately uh solo records um every now and then we'll bring in uh an actor to read it you know with another actor if the schedules allow it but oftentimes right. their schedules just don't line up um so yeah it was me in the room uh i relied very heavily in that sense on uh my friend and at the time he was the head of story on the film don hall he's since gone on to uh be an academy award winner for big hero six and and has uh, the movie strange world coming out in a couple months um he was sorry supervisor and a really good friend of mine so i kind of let him direct me because I, I i i lose right. all objectivity once i'm <laughs> so i'm in there just and, and it was exhausting because there was a lot of screaming and and you know like 
veins bulging and that kind of thing. So I had to, he was very helpful in kind of saying, pull it back or push it further or, you know, try this, try that. So um, I, I really relied on him a lot for that. that that's, that's fantastic. And, and I'm assuming you, you have uh, a photo with the Disney uh, meet and greet character of the, the bowler hat guy, correct? Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, and in fact, um, we're, we're taking a trip to, uh, to Walt Disney world in a couple of days and he oh, appears in the, he that's appears in the Halloween parade. It's 20 miles that way. Oh, oh, really? Are you there? Are you down there? I am in Orlando. Yes. And actually I just got back from, uh, I just got back from D23 oh. yesterday. So, um, Jet center all over the Disney world, you know, Disney world. Yes. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and, I'm and as you know, Disney. you know, bowler hat guy is still appearing in the, in the, uh, boo to you parade. So I'm looking yes. forward to seeing him in a couple days. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. I uh, hope yeah. you, uh, hope, uh, you get a, a good uh, view with him. Now, do you have a lot of meet the Robinsons merchandise? Do you have like a, a, a shrine room where you're like, you put memorabilia <laughs> and things like that? Uh, some things I have things kind of here and there. Um, uh, most of what I have are a lot of just lots of drawings, lots of Xeroxes of, of things, lots of, you know, just stuff that you kind of collect over the course of making a movie. Nothing that I, I'm not supposed to have. I promise Disney archives. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah. And, and we were able to get some of the, like they had a, a fair amount of Disney store, uh, merchandise at the times so we ever get some of that and um uh yeah little little things here and there that, that's great and, and as you said uh things that maybe you're not supposed to you know not things you're supposed to, you're not supposed to have um and and of course you did uh you know storyboard work on a lot of you know big movies uh you know with with frozen big hero six utopia did the archives did the studio allow you to keep any uh, you know, original pieces from that. From uh, for the storyboards that I did, I just have I just have uh, xeroxes that I would I would make. Um, at well, when it was when we were drawing on paper, all right. the paper got boxed up and carted off to the to the animation research library. Now everything's digital, so they just sort of migrate the files. Right. Um, um, but they, yeah, they're good with letting people. Um, uh, take, take work, uh, just for future reference and for, you know, portfolios and things like that. So that, that, that's fantastic. Now you said you worked with Don with Don Hall. Uh, mm -hmm. and then, so is that how you ended up working on Winnie the Pooh, uh, right after meet the Robinsons? Yeah. So, uh, Don, when Don left meet the Robinsons, he went and was the story supervisor on princess and the frog as I was finishing up uh, Robinson's and then went back into development on some, on new projects. And then Don was done with princess and the frog. Uh, our boss at the time, John Lasseter had pulled him in and said, Hey, we got this Winnie the Pooh project. And then he pulled me in and said, would you like to work with Don, uh, together and do this? And, and absolutely. I mean, chance to work with Don as a director was great. Uh, also just to, 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 to revive Winnie the Pooh was kind of an exciting challenge. Uh, what was what, was, what we didn't really think about at the time, but but what we found great is that we're so used to it at Disney feature animation. You're so used to starting with a blank page and creating everything from scratch. I mean, maybe you're adapting a book or something, but right. still you're kind of, you're building everything from square one. Um, but Winnie the Pooh was like, oh wait, the world's created, uh, the character, we know the cast, 
we know how they talk. Like we know what their dynamic is. We can all just start drawing. We just gathered a story team together and we just started brainstorming, throwing ideas out. People were sketching, pinning stuff up. And we kind of built the movie that way, kind of more the old fashioned, uh, you know, the, the old days uh, at Disney, um, just sketching and brainstorming, uh, which was really cool. Um, so that gave it a really different feel. That, now, did you, I mean, but you obviously had to have limitations with Winnie the Pooh where you could, you have a, an open sandbox with meet the Robinsons, you know, you're, you're open, open world, but Winnie the Pooh, you kind of have to reel them in. This would not be something he would do. This would not be something Tigger would do, you know? Um, exactly. So was, was that difficult or was it more, you already kind of had something in mind. So it was, it was an easier path since you, couldn't have an open sandbox right uh what was interesting what what was easy about it is that it made it very clear when we were going off the path <laughs> you know what i mean like yep. as soon as you oh as soon as you make a joke that might be a little too broad or too cartoony or too too uh knowing like too little too contemporary let's say um it's obvious so you know when you got to go oh that's not that's not the right thing uh, at the same time, um, you know, we had the question of how do we make it, how do we not ruin what makes Winnie the Pooh great, which is the charm right. and the heart and the just the sweetness of it. How do we maintain that, but not make it feel like it was made, you know, 50 right. years ago? How do you ago? make it fresh? Yeah. So, so we were always kind of trying to say, how far can we push? How can we... Uh, 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 the timing and the pacing of the movie was, was, was one thing. It's funny. Cause we, um, we kind of, we just kept trimming and editing and trying to like tighten the pace to make it just not feel super fast, but just a little bit faster. And I re I remember um, towards the end of making the movie, we ended up watching, I think we were getting DVD extras together. So we were looking at deleted scenes of, of some of our really old reels from a couple of years earlier. And we were like, Oh my gosh, this thing is moving like a snail. We were shocked at how slow we actually had made it up front and how quick, how much more we quickened the pace over the course of the years. So, um, yeah, it was, it, it was a it was an issue of like dialing things as opposed to making huge, huge sweeping, you know, big changes to the to the material. It was like, uh, we'll just goose that a little bit and we'll just bring that down a little bit. You know, it's like finding like on a mixing board or something, you know, you're finding all the right levels for things. Uh, and one thing that, that Disney is so good at, whether on Imagineering side, um, storyboard side, you know, making movies is the research that goes into it. Uh, you know, like when they're making Zootopia, you're looking at animals and trying to mimic that. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, the background on Winnie the Pooh and uh, going to see, you know, A.A. Milne's, uh, you know, uh, work and, you know, uh, home and stuff like that. Yeah, we were shocked to, realize, to to learn that there is really a hundred acre wood. Like there is a place that I think we all just assumed that Milne, you know, maybe based it on some locations in, in, in his, his and, and Christopher Robin Milne's travels and experiences. But the fact that there really was a place where all those Winnie the Pooh locations had a connection to, we were kind of like, oh, because we didn't think we'd be able to take a research trip for Winnie the Pooh. But the research trip would be going down the street to the 
to the ARL, the Animation Research Library, and pulling old artwork and stuff like right. that. That would be the research. So when we found that out, we're like, yeah, let's go. So we um, we took a, a tour of the Hundred Acre Wood. There's this amazing uh, Pooh historian that we found there. Um, he 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 walked us all around uh, what's called Ashdown Forest in uh, in Sussex. Um, we got to take a a, a walk around A.A. A. Milne's. Um, it's sort of like his vacation home that was all it's it's in the hundred acre wood property uh uh we went to uh, the victorian albert museum and they have a collection of 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 um, ernest shepherd who did the illustrations for the original poo books they have a collection of his drawings in one of their special rooms and they allowed us to to put the gloves on and go in and you know take a look at at, at his pen and ink drawings wow. so there's some really neat like neat things that that just put us in that frame of mind you know that's uh that that's incredible to be able to go yeah. and do again you know like they do such a great job at doing the research you know so things i you 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 feel that emotional connection when watching yeah. um, I, I have to ask about uh working on uh monsters at work mm -hmm. uh mainly because in the middle of it a little thing called you know COVID 19 happened <laughs> how how was it working during you know uh work stoppages uh quarantines working from home not being able to physically see the people that you're working with how how tough was that i by the way i love monsters at work um, oh good thanks uh absolutely loved it um but yeah i i have to know like how was it working on a a project like that but during that time yeah it was weird you know as i think everybody you know there was that moment of like is this really happening and and it just in in life and in in our culture and the world right. what is going on and this is so unusual and we have no frame of reference for these things for this thing that's happening um and it was a little bumpy as you can imagine um for me all i really need for my job was the was a laptop and my ipad so, um, uh, but there were other people that needed specific kind of software to do their jobs and specific kind of technology, like tech that, that the studio had to provide. Um, but I have to say, once all that stuff settled, everybody just kind of kept working. <laughs> uh, what was good about where, when it happened to us in the process was we had already pretty much finished with storyboarding and writing. Okay. So, and, and, you know, th those are really the time, those are the, that, those are the stages that you really want to be in the room together, you know, as you're brainstorming and building stuff like that. Thankfully, we were almost done with that and we were just starting episode production. Um, and we had a vendor studio, which was up in Vancouver named Icon. Uh, and we were already going to be video conferencing with them, even if oh, we were okay. still in the building because they're in Vancouver. So in a weird way, it kind of just sort of smoothly fell in place. Um, so we were very fortunate. I, I, th I, I have yet to do any kind of story brainstorming, story writing, you know, the kind of group think that you do in, in those stages. I've yet to do that over Zoom. I can imagine how tough it must be. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I couldn't imagine. Now, as we are talking about, you know, st you know, storyboarding and standing up in front of a room and, showing your work do you ever have you ever thought man this is what walt did mm. yeah 
uh, I'll, I'll be as quick with this anecdote as possible. But, um, you know, I grew up looking at a lot of those kind of big coffee table books of about Disney and art books and stuff like that. And all those pictures of, you know, initially I wanted to be an animator. So I, I, I saw the, the pictures of the story rooms with the people pitching on the, you know, with all the drawings pinned up. Um, but I kind of looked past that at the time when I was younger, cause I wanted to be an animator, but then cut to, uh, years later, I'm a storyboard artist, which I loved, love more than animating. So happy that I found that, uh, uh, rather than animating. And I remember on Emperor's New Groove, myself and my friend Don Hall, who we talked about earlier, uh, we were storyboarding the big action climax of, of the movie. Um, and Don had the stuff inside the palace where Pacha and Cusco were trying all the different vials of, <laughs> of stuff to turn him back. And I had all the stuff on the outside of the palace where they're running around trying to, you know, the vials falling off the ledge off the, and right off the nose. Yeah. He's my kitty, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and we had a pitch once and, and the, again, it was the old school boards and pins and paper. And we had, we were going to be pitching to the director and we hung all of our boards up and it was huge. And, and it filled the entire uh, story room uh, in a, one in a big circle. And just, there was a moment right before the director came in, I was like, wow, I really feel like a story artist. And this feels like those moments in, in those books, those pictures where you see all the guys, you know, with their pitch sticks and they're pitching. And uh, it was, it was, it was kind of one of those pinch me moments. It was really neat. That's uh, that's an incredible feeling. And, yeah. and to do it at the studio and for the company that you grew up, uh, you know, watching and stuff. And I want to uh, roll in into that. I, mm -hmm. I want to talk about, um your 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 project uh disney in between mm, yes uh, that's uh yeah so tell me a little bit about this so it's the lost decades right the 70s and it's based on the 70s and 80s is that correct, correct? yeah um i was I'm, i've always been fascinated with the uh kind of the post walt uh pre eisner katzenberg days uh number one that was the ch that was my childhood disney so i grew up with that uh and so i kind of have an affinity for that but also, you know, learning that it was, it was an interesting time for the studio, and they really struggled with having lost their leader um, in '66 when Walt passed away, uh, and then wrestling with their image as the rest of the world was changing, and Hollywood was changing, and um, movie making was changing, and Disney was kind of, they were afraid to change what Disney was, but in doing so, they. Put themselves at the end, at the back of the at the back of the line, because the rest of it, of Hollywood was changing. Um, so I've always found that really fascinating, uh, a really interesting story. I'd heard some of the stories, but really, I just wanted to know, wow, what happened? And I was fortunate to have access to so many of the people, particularly in animation, that that worked there at right. the, during that time, because now I was working with them. Um, so I thought, well, I'm just going to start talking with people and see where this goes. Uh, and it was going to be a documentary. Is it going to be a book? I chose a book so I could spend a little more time, get a little more thorough into the, right. into the, some of the stories. Um, but, uh, interviewed a bunch of the animation folk and was able to get in touch with a fair amount of live action folks as well. Um, so the book is, yeah, about 66 to 86, uh, those 20 years of the studio's history. And, uh, it, it, it talks about all those films and kind of all the, ups and downs and and struggles and victories and 
that happened during that time period. So uh, in in the in live action and animation in the studio, that's incredible. I'm I'm so excited for it. I I, I cool. promise you, I'm not just saying this because you're on the show and I'm <laughs> talking to you. Uh, but I will be purchasing this book. Awesome. I'm, I'm I'm super excited for it. And so we're looking at somewhere in in 2023, correct? Yeah, that's the hope. We're um yep uh working on the manuscript right now, editing, and then we'll start figuring that's, out the rest of the book. So that's fantastic. Hopefully, we'll get you at a we'll get you at a, a D23 to do uh to to talk about it. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> that, fantastic. Uh, and I, I know you're working at uh, Atomic now, um, but with the you know with the way that that disney plus is now and and needing content could you see yourself going back and and perhaps working on projects that were canned such as like you know the uh the the tink meets peter um <laughs> you know prequel or you know uh you know projects that maybe you were going you know maybe a a, a robinson sequel you know could you see yourself going back and working on these things that they clearly need content for yeah, I, I think anything's possible. I mean, I'm, I uh, left uh, Disney last summer um, just to kind of explore new things, but um, I'm open to all kinds of stuff and, and particularly the Robinson world. You know, I love those characters and I love, we thought about so many different kinds of stories and where those characters would go. And, and so there's definitely ideas for how to continue them. So um, absolutely. Team meets Peter. Yeah. I loved, I loved that. So we'll see what happens. I'm always open. I, I think I think the world would love a Tink meets Peter prequel. Mm. I, yeah. I think that uh, I I I just think that they don't know that they want it, but I, I think that like I didn't know that I wanted it before uh, I, I read about it. Uh, now, as we talk about animation, you actually have done some uh, some live action work as mm. well, right? Some live action cool. directing and writing, like uh, you know, you, some shorts. And do you? Do you see yourself maybe working in live action in the future, or are you like, you know what? I tried it. My heart is in animation. Uh, I I would love to explore more. Um, I think what I'd love to do, um, as you know, when the timing is right, is is do some more live action shorts. Just kind of play around in that world and learn more about it. Um, when when I made my live action short, twenty fifteen, I think is when we finished it. Um, it was really just, I, I was just. I was in development at Disney and things were going very slowly, which is fine. Uh, but I was really hungry to make something. I just wanted to make something. And, uh, and I had a friend, I have a friend who's, uh, who produced my short, but he, he does a lot of live action, uh, uh, independent stuff as well on his own. He does his own features and shorts and he was like, I'll produce it if you want to do something. So, uh, we did it and it was so much fun. I love doing it. Uh, granted, it was very simple. One location, two characters. So I, I made it easy on myself to, so I didn't, you know, but I, I would love to play around with more and, and learn more. It's just, it's a different way of telling stories. And that's really what I love doing. So awesome. uh, yeah, I'd love to experiment more with that. Uh, one thing we're going to go into now is uh, a little mini game on here called the Milo Beasley Show. Frequently asked questions. And I'm going to ask you the same Five questions that I asked to all my guests. Uh, okay. There's no wrong answers. Well, I guess there. I mean, could be, but I want to know. <laughs> all right. So you ready? Yes. All right. Question number one: What was the first concert you ever attended? Oh, I, this might be embarrassing. I'm proud of being a, a nerd for this band, but maybe people will laugh at me. But it was the Monkees. 
when the monkeys had their uh, i lived in dallas at the time and the monkeys had their big reunion tour and so they came to dallas in the 80s when they you know re i always i loved watching the reruns uh, so i was already a monkeys fan but then when they did the big re right uh, you know re-energizing their the band in the 80s uh, that came through Dallas, so I went to see the Monkees. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. I'm gonna say, I mean, same type of, you know, I guess nerdy premise. My and and an animal theme. My first concert was the Turtles. Oh, so, yes, yeah. same same generation there. Same, yeah. Uh, question number two: Do you believe in ghosts? I do. I. I uh, believe in the possibility of all of that. I have yet to experience anything supernatural. My wife is really sensitive to that stuff, and she tends to feel it much more than I do. Um, but I am totally open to all supernatural, paranormal. I love the idea that it, it's all out there. <laughs> um, I think I'm just not, I, I'm not sensitive to it, and I'm not attracted. I don't attract it, let me say. So, I have not, I have had no experience, but I am totally there. All right. So in a, a, a twist on a common question in a movie about your life, mm. who would play your parents? Wow. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, wow. Holy smokes. Um, uh, <laughs> This, it's not really a one-to-one -one, uh, comparison, but I remember as a kid watching Happy Days a lot, think, thinking that Tom Bosley as Mr. Cunningham was it is totally different personality. I don't know what it was. There was something that just kind of evoked my dad uh, from Tom Bosley. So I guess I'll say Tom Bosley. And my mom, ah, shoot. Uh, this is really kind of a random pull but there was a performer on saturday night live back in the 80s named mary gross you know of this person yes he's a great really funny performer um and i was there was something that kind of also back then made me think of my mom for some weird reason again not one-to-one -one, not like right. a dead ringer but right. there was something about it but about mary gross so I'll, I'll say mary gross and tom bosley fantastic question number four who is your favorite person to follow on social media? Mm. Uh, gosh, um, there's these uh, two wonderful ladies uh, that I follow. They're on social media. They're Ellie Oli, E L I O L I, um, okay. but it's Elena and Olivia, uh, and they are amazing artists. Uh, I actually met them back when Meet the Robinsons came out. They were still in high school, and they friended me on Facebook because they're really big Meet the Robinsons fans. They have since gone on to be huge players in the animation industry, incredible visual development artists, and they do all this really fun Robinson fan art every now and then too, which is just incredible. Um, so I'm always really inspired seeing their their work. It's absolutely gorgeous, and I encourage everyone to, to go find Ellie Oli. It's just Ellie Oli, E-L-I-O-L-I, -E uh, and check them out. Fantastic. That's why I asked this question because, you know, we may not be following uh, these people. We're yeah. like, Hey, you need to go follow them. That's why, that's why I asked this question. Yeah. And then our last question. I'm, I'm super uh, uh, excited to hear your answer because it could literally be all over the place. Mm. Uh, so uh, in your time, uh, either working on studio 
uh, you know, on, on, in, a, in a studio working on set. Maybe you're just out and about. What has been that your biggest mm. fanboy moment where you saw a celebrity or somebody and you just fanboyed out, either went up to them and couldn't stop talking or was like, uh, I, I, you know. <laughs> right. Um, well, I'll, uh, uh, I'll lump two people together. Uh, uh, Danny Elfman uh, was lovely enough to do our score on Meet the Robinsons. And I've been a fan of Danny's Oingo Boingo scores, his film scores, everything. So to get to work with him was like, I can't even compute this. This is crazy. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I fanboyed too much. I think I held it together. Okay. Um, uh, but it was pretty, uh, we, and, and I would say at least once a week, once he was actually into composing the, the cues for the movie, we would go to his house. We went to his house and we would go into his home studio and he would play us his demos of the score. And it was like, ah, this is not real. Um, oh. uh, and then the other thing, the other one, I'll just add one more if I can, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so on Winnie the Pooh, we uh, got the amazing John Cleese from Monty Python to come do the narrator, uh, the voice of a narrator on Winnie the Pooh. And we went over to London to record him. And as we were prepping for the recording session, I was kind of just trying to punch up some of the dialogue that we'd written. And I was like, I, I'm, John Cleese is going to be saying our dialogue. He's, Don, this dialogue that Don and I wrote, this voiceover stuff, he's going to be speaking it. I like the pressure was was immense, uh, and luckily he was absolutely lovely. He laughed at everything we had. We showed him a bunch of clips from the movie. He was just he was wonderful and so um, willing to do anything that we we asked him to do, and and just you know uh, hit it out of the park. But that was, I mean. John Cleese to me is sort of a, a, a legend in just in terms of his writing, his performing, just his storytelling. I mean, another one that I feel that I've been so influenced by. So to get to work with him and get to actually hear our words coming out of his mouth was pretty amazing. Gosh, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. It was neat. Uh, so I, I have to ask uh, again, my, um, so my, my, I have a two year old son mm. and the movie that he loves the most is, frozen mm. like, and so anytime he if he starts having a a, a two-year-old you know mm -hmm. breakdown mm -hmm. as they do uh we put on frozen so you did the voice of kai and, <laughs> right. and so is that another temporary you know storyboard voice that they're like oh that works let's you know you're you're, yeah. you're now doing that pretty much they just call me down and said would you do this we call it scratch uh, would you do the scratch for this character? So I was like, sure, I do that a lot for different movies. Um, happy to do it. And then because I was already in SAG from previous voiceover work, it was easy for them to just say, all right, you're the voice. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Could you see yourself getting more into uh, voice acting? Would you Would you want to keep doing that? Or, uh, you know, if, if the if the situation presented itself? I've thought about that. I, I think it would be fun. At the same time, I feel very much like uh, I was really fortunate to get the opportunities that I got to do the voices that I got to do. However, I feel like I'm, I, I don't really have a craft at that. I, I sort of, kind of do it. Right. Uh, I'm very much Steve. an amateur. Steve. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> 
so I kind of feel like I should leave that up to the people that are that are the real professionals at that one. Uh, but but you know who knows? We'll see. Um, I I, I uh, answered a an Instagram um, ad, if you will, from a Cal Arts student a couple months ago for their uh, student film. They were looking for a voice of, a, oh. of an older guy, and I was like, oh, I could do that, and I did it. They they hired me to do it, so I went up to Cal Arts and did the voice. That was fun. Um, so it's fun that I do it every now and then, but maybe for lower stakes than like right. a real professional. Uh, speaking of Instagram, I'm a huge fan of of, of your Instagram and Thank and you. all your art on there. Um, for folks who love Disney, love Disney characters, love Disney art, uh, I, I love seeing uh, your stuff on there. Uh, so where can folks, uh, they want to find you, uh, where can folks find you on the social medias? Mm-hmm. Uh, so my Instagram is at Steve Hat Guy, all one word. So like Bowler Hat Guy, but Steve instead of Bowler. Uh, and then my website is the same thing, stevehatguy.com. Um, and that's just got storyboards. Well, well both have storyboards, doodles, um, silly stuff, just cartoons, fun stuff to do that I do. So, yeah, I, 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 abs- I absolutely love it. I think your most recent was, uh, was Madame Mem. Um, <laughs> yeah. that, which I got to see at, um, Oogie Boogie Bash. They have, a. a they had the Madame Mim uh, character out, uh, which was, she did a great job. It was fantastic. I saw people's video or stories about that. I, uh, that's the first time they've done it. Yeah. I don't feel like I've ever seen her before. No, I mean, she's, yeah. uh, she's brand new for this year. Uh, they have yeah. her, um, uh, Sid from Toy Story, which they had out last year. Uh, Ernesto de la Cruz. Oh yeah. From Coco. That mask is so cool. Uh, it was so cool to see in person. I was one of the like, last five to be able to walk through there. Cause I went at the end of the night mm. and uh, it was, it was so cool. Um, so uh, if you can get tickets, the Oogie Boogie Bash out there, I yeah. highly recommend you go and check it out, but you will be at uh, Mickey's not so scary, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is, is a lot of fun. Hopefully it rained on me the first time I went <laughs> because it's Florida uh-huh. and we do, we start Halloween in August. So hopefully September treats you a little bit better. Um, yeah. <laughs> before we go, is there anything uh, anything else you'd like to uh, you like to say, like to, to say to the folks out there? Uh, you know, I just want to say thanks everybody for um, all the support that I get, um, all the messages and things like that people send me, um, and uh, for going to see all these movies and keeping them alive. Uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, hope to see. Uh, a lot of you on social media and connect with some new friends. So uh, definitely let me know. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me today. And thank you all for watching wherever you are, home, uh, bus, train, uh, plane, wherever you are watching this. Thank you so much. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button, please do so. But most importantly, tell your friends. Steve, again, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Milo.